I swear to God, I just logged in and the first word I hear is James saying the word dognaunt, so this is, <laughs> it's going well. I'll, I suppose I'll start this with um, um, a, a bit of a mea culpa. I fucked up and did not plan my time out well before this, so comment or commentaria is kind of ruined for this one. I don't have a lot of material for it. Um, I've got two, so will we just start the episode with the two that I've got? All right. Okay, cool. but do you want to like introduce us and do the do that shit? Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. Uh, welcome to Podcasting's Praxis. <laughs> you were probably aware that that's what you were listening to because you clicked on something to make that happen. If that hasn't been the case and the podcast did just start playing out of nowhere, fun. All right, that was good, but can we do that again? No, I, I will. I will flub that if I try and do that. All right. Okay. Fine. Uh, yeah. So I'm David. I am here tonight <laughs> with is... Rob. <laughs> this is a. A polished podcast with you know people who've done this many times before. Uh, hey, I'm Rob and James. Hello, Seb. Hello again, and no one else. Um, because unfortunately, Jamie is not well enough to come on. Um, you may have noticed the coughs that sounded like a dog inhaling a chest set in the last <laughs> episode that I didn't manage to edit out. That would have been Jamie. He's fine, it's not COVID though, so don't worry, he'll be back. He is uh, he is literally playing cities of heroes and cities of villains or whatever the fuck they're called right now. His his exact words were, "It's shite. I'm at peak performance. It's just that periodically I sound like my lungs are trying to strangle me." So uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So fair play. Get well soon. So yeah, let's do the comment or commentary. So the first one I have for you is, yes, I've saved more, invested more, and paid off a chunk of my mortgage that I wouldn't have been able to do if it were not for lockdown. In the <sighs> past few days, I've spoken to friends, self-employed and employed, about pandemic saving, and like me, they have managed to squirrel money away. I asked them whether, like me, they feel a tinge of guilt while others, maybe their neighbours, struggle to make ends meet. Their answer was an emphatic no. <laughs> Comment or commentary at. Oh. This feels incredibly weird doing it first in the show. I'm not sure how Doesn't I'm it? feeling about this. <laughs> it's like it's like coming straight in, and it's like, ah, oh, welcome, welcome, sir. Here's your table. Uh, dessert is ready. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on, hold on. I've not like, wait, wait, and can I not even look at the menu? No, no, your creme brulee. Oh, uh, don't worry. I'm... This is not the dessert of the episode. Like this, no, is, no. this is the amuse bush. Then you will receive your vegetables, <laughs> and then we shall have dessert. Okay, okay. Uh, I got no fucking idea. I'm just going to say commentariat. I'm going to say comment okay. because we all know the commentariat don't have friends. I'm going <laughs> to I am going to say commentariat and it's, I don't know, it sounds like it's, it, it's completely insufferable. Is it Alison Pearson? 
It's not Alison Pearson, though. It is Commentaria, and you were wrong on that assumption, Seb, because the Commentaria do have friends. It's other people in the Commentaria. That's why it's such a horrible and incestuous profession. Ah, um, that was Jeff Prestridge in the Daily Mail. So Oof. thanks for that. Thanks, Jeff. I, I have no idea. I have. I, I, I cheers, Jeff. Well done. Um, I've got no idea who that guy is. I've never seen his name before, but there he was. He was. He was writing in it with his name on it. He's fair game. Fuck him. <laughs> Sturgeon <laughs> is the leader of a minor political party and should be treated as the Lib Dems and Greens are. I have friends and relatives in Scotland. None of them want the referendum, let alone independence, and they hate Sturgeon more than the English. Comment or commentary at this is the same guy because they're all talking, he's talking about friends and relatives again. <laughs> it's our one member of a commentary who is particularly close to people <laughs> who wasn't, <laughs> wasn't like hatched from an egg or something. I like to imagine you sitting down and you go, So, uh, so who are your friends? It's like, Oh, you know, friends, friends, um, like some of them are Canadian, but they live in Canada, <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. you wouldn't know them. They don't live on the street. <laughs> they don't go to this school. Yeah. Right, come on then, let's go. Uh, comment. It's a comment. Okay. It's, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll go comment as well. It's just I'll go comment uh, too. Is it? Is this the Guardian? Uh, comment on the national. I'm guessing. Oh, you know, actually, I've never once attempted to plumb the depths of the national. Um, I may have <laughs> to do that at some point. I'm sure I can get some fucking wild shit. Oh, there. Some, uh, no, that, get, there some... that was the Daily Mail again. Oh fuck! <laughs> was it comment or commentary? Though it was comment. Yeah, you were all right. It was comment. It's a rich seam, though. I mean, I have to say that's uh, two two quality finds. So you know that was good. I mean, the Guardian finds. just totally let me down this week. I, I spent about fifteen twenty minutes looking at the Guardian and came up with fuck all. Oh well, but yeah, yeah I, I, will, you know... I will put my Scott Paul hat on and go to the National, and I will find something about how someone got a paper cut on their dick from shagging the declaration of a bro. <laughs> hey, no kink shaming on this podcast. Well, we, we will be doing fucking kink shaming, just you, like, you know, wait your turn. Um... Well, let's move on to the, the meat of the episode then. Um, Rob. Would yeah. you like to take us through some little some little news stories? Some little nuggets. Well, I mean, I don't know. I think maybe next week we'll talk a bit more about the continuing saga of Corona. Yes. Uh, you know, we just had the another Boris press conference where I can't remember what he said because, you know, I don't give a fuck. Um, except that there's now 100,000 people that have died in the United Kingdom, uh, which I think now makes us officially the globally highest per capita uh, deaths. So, you know, Brexit's done and we are number one at something. <laughs> Woo! Did it, baby! Yeah! Yeah, I top of the charts. I can't even begin to describe my hatred for the entire political system. It's all consequence-free. Boris is not resigning. Keith is not resigning. Nobody's resigning. Nobody's going to jail. No, nothing. You know, it's, it's just... Actually, I think you'll find someone is resigning. I am resigning myself to a life of pain and misery. Oh. Yeah, but didn't you say on the last episode that you were looking forward to spending the rest of your life indoors? Yeah, but they won't let me keep doing that forever. As soon as they find out I'm happy with that, they'll take it away from me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's and true. not in a safe way. No, it'll be the UK COVID resettlement scheme or something where you're brought in to resettle the London plague lands. 
No, they'll just take away one of your walls and part of your roof um, to build more <laughs> housing. <laughs> That'll be a zoo for podcasters where I have David <laughs> on one side and then some of the trash future um. guys in another. <laughs> a little railway arch where DTATW hangs oh, out. Oh, God. I just, I mean, I'm just picturing it'll be like a guided tour. And like the guy will be right. We're about to enter the podcasting house. Now, these people startle easily. So please don't touch the glass. Don't shine any lights. No flash photography. Uh, uh, you know, Jamie is very spookable in particular. And you really don't want him throwing shit at the glass. So let's just take it one step at a time. No dogs. And kind of, you know, you, you go in and you just hear a babble of voices and like intermittent complaints about fucking Yeti microphones and... Yeah, no, I, I'm extremely here for this this vision, and I'll be perfectly honest. If it gave me bananas and like kept me well fed, I'd you know I'd hang out like a fucking orangutan. I already half looked the part. What I'm what what I'm saying is, please bring on this zoo podcasting future. I am here for it, but not in the way that Seb is. Most podcasters are nocturnal animals. They may not see much motion during daylight. <laughs> All of this is an accurate description of me. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> so, I'm just sorry, David, for the rest of this podcast. I'm just gonna be picturing you delivering this podcast, except you're like peeling a banana with your feet as you do it. Just that's how it is. You're also in a tire swing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Fuck, that sounds like it'd be really comfy, a really good way to record a podcast, wouldn't it? Just hanging there, swinging around, getting further away from the microphone as you talk, and then getting closer again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, somewhere not... in the world, probably many places, as an audio editor, an audio editor is screaming in pain at the sound of that. It's me. It's me. Yeah. Always me. Oh. at least one of us is recording right now from a sex swing. Uh, <laughs> oh, fucking. <hell. sighs> Somehow lowering the tone. <laughs> Thank you. What what I'm getting from this is right. Don't do the don't do fucking comment or commentary at the start of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sets the tone completely wrong. Right, I'll never do that again. What's actually happened is because we're missing Jamie, we keep thinking Jamie is like a chaos machine, right? He's not. He's a lightning rod for chaos, right? It all just strikes him. <laughs> and whilst he's on the podcast, we're protected. But we are like a building that is exposed to a thunderstorm without a lightning rod now. It's just randomly striking the building, and that's just how it's going to be. We can all just be thankful that at some point what that means is the whole thing's going to be set on fire soon, and no one will have to worry about this anymore. <laughs> Anyway, speaking of chaos, can I tell you an amazing story? Yeah, go on. Uh, yes. it's, been, it's been making the rounds a little bit, but it's just it's too amazing to talk about. Um, and I'll read you the first paragraph. Trading in stock of video game retailer GameStop. Oh, yes! <laughs> I am here for this. Let's go! Yes, was halted briefly last Friday as it soared more than 70% due partly to enthusiastic support of a group of Redditor day traders. <laughs> oh yes the, this is part of our series of uh, the economy is extremely normal and the stock market is an accurate reflection of reality it's so it's so good though it's so good i'm so like you know like fair play to them they have managed to just do something that's quite funny that's objectively quite funny and it doesn't matter how it unfolds because everyone involved is an arsehole 
It's just that for once they're sticking it to a bigger group of arseholes. So, oh, I'm extremely here for this. Rob, do you want to tell the story? It's so yeah, good. yeah, it's an amazing story because it's essentially like the people who are getting, who are getting screwed are um, like Wall Street hedge funds. So it, it, they are getting screwed the most, which is therefore the best. Mm-hmm. The stock is up more than 250% this year and it rose even more recently because uh, there was a new guy joined the board of GameStop. After the guy joined the board, uh, a short seller called Citron Research predicted that the price would drop, and then they would they were making money. They were selling short. For those who don't know, essentially, you bet that you borrow shares. You bet that the sh- price will drop. If it drops, you can share them for the lower price, and then you pocket the the difference. But members of the Reddit board R slash Wall Street bets who had been generating interest in the stock criticized uh, Citron, the short sellers, on Reddit message boards and continued to praise the stock on social media. <laughs> the hype generated by R slash Wall Street bets helped create what is known as a short squeeze, which I didn't know was a thing, but is amazing. Oh, yeah, it's great. A short squeeze works like this. Some investors, known as shorts, essentially bet that a company's stock will fail, which we just talked about. These investors borrow stock from other investors and sell it and then buy it back when the prices fall, return the stock to the original owner, pocket the difference in the price. However, the problem with shorting is that one's losses are theoretically infinite. If a stock begins an upward run, uh, some short sellers begin to abandon their short because it's going to cost them money and buy the shares at the higher price. So some people who sell short will pretty much immediately start selling selling the stock back once the stock begins to rise instead of fall to limit the amount of money they lose. This, in turn, because you're selling more stock, makes the stock go higher because more people are buying it. And therefore, if you remain, remain short... Uh, the stock price goes even higher, exposing you to even more loss, causing you to sell your stock. So it's essentially, it's an upward spiral. And some of the people, they then in turn choose to cover their own shorts by selling and so on and so forth. GameStop is the most short most shorted stock in the market, according to CNBC. And more than 138% of its shares are sold short, which means, you know, <laughs> it should, it, it, it should have, created essentially this whole company but because of maniacs on reddit and social media they turned this around and rallied the stocks causing a lot of people who'd shorted the the funds to lose their fucking shit it's really amazing <laughs> yeah the, the lovely thing about it the lovely thing about it is like okay so GameStop is not a well company right no you know it's 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 not as close to death as everyone thinks it is but it is like, you know, like the Grim Reaper standing outside sharpening the scythe sort of thing, you know? And to try and hasten its end, you've got all these people who are short selling it. They're basically trying to drive down the price. And, you know, they have short positions and they've got longer term short contracts in play and a whole bunch of other things. And basically, they're, they're just they're, they're waiting for the funeral when they're all going to cash out. And then Wall Street bets just fucking cannons in and goes, do you know what? This company isn't as shit as it looks. How about we just fuck them? <laughs> and it turns out when two million people with like more money than sense decide they're just gonna fuck with wall street in a particularly like you know yolo kind of way uh sometimes it pays out <coughs> and it, the, the joke is it wouldn't have paid out if it hadn't been for some good news announcements at the same time but my god they got lucky and yeah. um there's a whole bunch of wall street traders are just calling them fucking names and demanding <laughs> like you know that there'll be regulation of r slash wall street bets <laughs> 
can't believe I got owned by r slash the epic bacon stonks. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's literally what's happened here. The you mad investment strategy portfolio is coming into its own. There's a guy who dropped 60 grand into GameStop, GameStop stocks. There we go, got it. And he, he made out like 13 million out of this. Just, you Good know. on him. I mean, whatever. Yeah. If it's just fuckery, it's fuckery. There's an amazing coda to this, um, which is the the original group, the Citron Research, the original short sellers who released a report which should have caused the stock to plummet, said last Friday that it would no longer comment on GameStop stock because of, quote, the angry mob who owns the stock. <laughs> I don't think it's the stock they've owned, to be honest, mate. Uh, I don't think it's the stock that got owned. Yeah. No. Um, Citron, Citron research editor Andrew Left uh, wrote a note to uh, readers that the backlash had included criminal activity, which he planned to report to the Securities and Exchange Commission, which included the harassment of minor children as well as financial crimes, <laughs> i.e., you like, know, the shit, the shit they do every day and the shit that Reddit does every day. Like, they're talking about financial crimes. I genuinely am not sure what they think the financial crime here is. Like, I could see them genuinely making one up off the back of this, because, you know, <laughs> you don't get a fuck with rich people. That's not allowed. But as far as I can tell, two million people all reading a message board and going, yeah, you know, that sounds like a good investment, is not a financial crime, no matter how much you might want it. <laughs> yeah, this isn't like a group of five people all purposefully, like, pumping a stock and by putting in their, you know, their own billions into it or any kind of shit like this. No. Well, yeah, amazingly, if you do that to LIBOR, you get off. So... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, so, how do you get uh, so, off yeah. LIBOR? This might be useful. <laughs> um, yeah, very... Very gently. <laughs> well, anyway, I love this no, fucking story. No, I'm not making an inflation fetish joke at your expense. I'm not doing that. Uh, I said I'm going to go this episode without doing it, and god damn it, you're trying hard to get me to... Yes, you sent just... me this challenge at the beginning, and this is entirely god your mistake. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just, I love this story. I mean, on the other hand, it is also, you know... Probably not a good sign that Reddit boards can push stock prices. I mean, the stock price, fucking stock prices are insane and not real anymore anyway. But you know, this is probably not the sign of a healthy market. Whatever the fuck's oh, going oh on. no, it's all it's all going to go bang. Very, I'd say, relatively quite soon for in, for some supposedly cases, Friday. So yeah, just investing advice. Past performance does not represent future performance. Don't fucking <laughs> yeah. buy GameStop based on this no, podcast. No, don't. Don't do it. Don't do it. Um, but yeah. I mean, it's it's not a good thing, but at the same time, like, I'm probably happier with, you know, a bunch of fucking Redditors pushing the financial markets around rather than Islands McNaunch Resort. So, like, fuck yeah, it. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, some random folks from the internet will you know, come off this possibly with millions or at least, you know, tens of thousands more than they started with. Uh, so and probably on yeah, average, fine. like they won't fine. be billionaires before they began. So like, you know, it's just whatever more people got money. Good for them. Yeah. It's a kind of redistribution. Yeah. Now, it is redistribution to some of the worst people in the world. Yes. But <laughs> not the very worst people in the world. No, no. It's like, you know, I don't oh. find like. No, Red know. Redditors are like in the third level of hell. I mean, it's not, you know, all the way down there. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. In conclusion, even when it goes pop and a bunch of them get burned, it's still going to be funny because, you know, it's, it's a bunch of Redditors. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, um, don't, don't, don't hear this story and decide, oh, I'm going to go play on Wall Street bets. Don't do it. 
don't make yeah. that mistake. Don't be that guy. Unless I just caught myself. Unless it no. turns out we can influence stock market activity, in which case this we'll all buy it and then tell you to buy it. <laughs> no, that would actually. We will not do that. Absolutely, <laughs> that will not happen. <laughs> Podcasting as practice does not recommend the cool crime of robbery. <laughs> <laughs> So, for real though, I was genuinely, like, last night I was making tea and I was thinking about this sort of stuff and I was like, oh man, wish I'd, like, put on, like, you know, a, f a few thousand on, like, GameStop stock. And then I, I stopped and I said, James, this is how it starts. This is how it starts. Because you heard that they were doing this before and you said, fucking idiots, it's GameStop, it's, like, not going anywhere. You know, there's no way you could have seen this coming. Don't be that person who then goes, oh, it worked that time. I'm sure it'll work next time and overrides the common sense. So if I can resist, you can resist. Don't do it. There we go. That is the public service announcement we should be giving out on the pod. Yeah. <laughs> however, however, you can convince your Tory parents to invest in Wall Street bets. Yes. Yes. Do that. Uh, the thing you probably shouldn't have invested in and to sort of move us smoothly onward um, is Eurostar, which was, of course, hey. which was privatized, would it, would it surprise you to know, in 2015 under David Cameron? Because, you know, who needs a stake in the railroad under the sea that was a was and remains a miracle of engineering when you can just sell it off for cheap for cheap? So we sold it off for a cool 750 million, which is really not that much when you consider that it is a tunnel under the sea. But yeah, as it turns out, uh, a pandemic and Brexit, not so good for the Eurostar. So passenger numbers are down 95 cool percentage points. Um, and the government, so the, the company and the unions are, have now written to the government to say, please bail us out, because otherwise the company known as Eurostar might collapse. You're saying, you're saying the the tunnel under the sea might go under. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just you know, more of the usual fuckery. We we privatize shit for pennies on the pound, and then you know it all collapses, and then we have to take it back. Not the yeah. French, of course, because the French were smart, so they kept their fifty percent share of it. I mean, it was, it's been fucking cursed from the British end from the start. Um, shout out to Well There's Your Problem podcast, who did a episode on the Eurostar mm. and a fire that happened in the, you know, the tunnel um, some time ago. Because they actually, they to my surprise, they touched on the historical circumstances leading to the tunnel being built. And in particular, they went on to the details of how basically some people had to trick Thatcher into building it. Essentially, like they, they had to trick Thatcher into doing it because it was too much like public works. And uh, yeah, would would recommend listening to that episode for some much needed extra lol context to this entire story because it's just been cursed from the start. It's very nice though. Have you ever been on the Eurostar? No, I, I know people. I was intending to both last year and the year before, but never got around to it. So, oops. Yeah, I'm part of that ninety-five percent, I suppose. <laughs> But, like, one of the, the interesting little tidbits that I'll just kind of leave you with here is uh, there's a reason that you put the freight onto, like, you load the lorries onto the Eurostar and then trundle it to the other end, then load the lorries off, rather than just running it through as a train, you know? And it's all to do with pure ideology. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, this, this thing has been fucking doomed uh, for a long, long time. 
and yeah no just it's, it's great love to see it do you have any idea how much the the bailout is going to be roughly no that's the, the number i was trying to find i couldn't find it that's i i spent some time this afternoon trying to find it but you know in another smooth segue uh speaking of things that are doomed um let's talk about the labor party yeah <laughs> oh okay there's some nice there's some nice election fuckery uh going on. I mean, while there is mega death and chaos and everything, uh the Tories are probably gonna kill off the fixed term parliament act, which if nothing else will give them the full five years plus another like six months to organize I mean, an election fuck it right. Good. That that fucking act made life hell for yeah. like two years, so fuck it good. For, I'm glad yeah, it's yeah, dead. That's good. It's only been it. It's what it's been had a shelf life for about a decade, and it is yeah caused nothing but just pain and chaos <laughs> to the entire country. <laughs> Despite its whole plan supposed to be about like stabilizing the electoral cycle, um, and yeah, yeah, it was absolutely appalling legislation from the start. Well, it turns out it turns out that when you make legislation that allows you to set fixed terms for parliament. But then, in practice, you can override it at any time. Yes, yeah, you've got a big yeah. enough majority. What it ends up being is a huge bias in favour of the government. So, uh, yeah, no, fuck that act. Like, yeah. uh, now that's you don't pro- get to, you don't get to be the government and have elections when you want, essentially, and still claim that no, we've we've got fixed terms and you know we've got the benefits of that system. Yeah. It does not work. It doesn't work like that. Um, unfortunately, there will also be uh, somewhere in this uh, government's period they will redraw the uh, constituency boundaries uh, because yeah. of population mm-hmm. shifts and everything, and that's probably going to mean in fifteen extra seats for the Tories or fifteen Labour for less. I'm not really sure which way it cuts, but essentially because the I Tories think... are in charge, the Tories pretty much get to redraw the lines. Yeah, is is it not the case that there's actually going to be like less seats? Was this not an intention of it? Whether we're going to draw it? Yeah, there's like going to be 600? less seats, but yeah. essentially it means there will be fifteen less seats, and most of those or all of those are essentially Labour seats that are going to get cut. Kill surprise! Yeah, we're we're into the naked gerrymandering stage of imperial decline. So yeah. it's cool and good. Love to see it. <laughs> um, and the Tories are probably going to up the uh, allowed spending limits on elections. Uh, I don't know what the current limit is. I think it's something like fifteen or something. I want to say or twenty million quid for for the election period. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you mean do you mean de jure or de facto? Because there's a I mean de jure. <laughs> I mean de jure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But the Tories want to, want to up the formal limit to 33 million quid, which, of course, is probably beneficial to the party that can rake it in easier from certain offshore funds and other places, rather than those relying on, you know, labour, if the unions are dumb enough to still put money in labour, um, as it stands. Yeah, well, they, they haven't broken yet, but they are not happy, are they? they yeah, are. not not yet, but I mean, I, I'm almost certain that the amount of money that would be given to the Labour Party by members would be drastically fucking reduced at this point compared to, say, yep. a year or so ago. So, yeah. So, anyway, so um, that's all, like, the structural shit that's for the next couple of years. Just, you know, watch out. But in the coming mm. months, I'm pretty sure it's May, isn't it? Uh, we have the next Still, uh, council yeah. elections. It's May, right? Yes, May, yeah. May is supposed to be the fun month where we were going to have like two-thirds of all the councils having their election because there was um, supposed to be some a while back that got fucking put off. So it was like a bumper amount there. And we were also supposed to have the national elections in Scotland as well, which would have happened oh, yeah. at the same time, which would have fucking owned. But no, looks like delays and shit might now come in because obviously... 
Plague Island is probably. still in plagued. Mm. So, like, actually, is there any news on this for the Scottish elections, David? I'm genuinely out of the loop. I've not been paying attention. I I haven't seen anything beyond the fact that it's now been floated openly that it may happen. Um, it's it's possible I might have missed it as well, but as far as my world, it's still on course. But the the chances are good that it's going to be curtailed because a lot of council buildings are in use as vaccination centres, mm, or will be in use as vaccination centres. So that's that's what I've heard so far. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But I I would probably say it's not going to happen in May. Yeah. yeah. We've completely forgotten about the mayors as well, but that's fine because nobody oh, cares God, about I them s- elections so, anyway. <laughs> oh, man, I so desperately want to do, and at some point we will, have, we, we will, or at least I will force people to, to do an election on the London mayoral race because all the candidates, except for Sadi Khan, who's boring, but everybody else is mental. He's oh, okay. so off the chain. That, that is, is so much. That, that gammons guy. Is that including Tony Blair? yeah but the thing i wanted to mention which is the amazing part about the upcoming or not upcoming um council and sort of the big election boogaloo is that um Mm -hmm. labor is already briefing to journalists that the tories will get a corona vaccine bounce to so that they're already hedging their bets Oh fucking hell, man! Oh, yeah. that's that's classic. That's classic, <laughs> Keith. I love it. That's so good. See if see if the little voice in my head, right? The, the little voice in my head that says to me, "You're fucking shit. You're terrible at everything." <laughs> see if that little voice could create a tulpa. That would be <laughs> Keir Starmer. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, they're going to be terrible anyway, because one of the other things uh, that we're still looking out for, by the way, is, uh, if, if you remember, is the uh, the Ford inquiry and the Ford report, uh, which was supposed to look into the Labour leaks report and give an assessment on the contents, how it was produced, how it was leaked, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so that, that's already been postponed uh, a large number of times, and there's now a new piece out in the Pearl Star, which I'm not familiar with myself so i'm going to put small question marks as to how reliable they are because i simply don't know it was retweeted is that the uh is that the trot paper it could be yeah i don't know i mean i assume it's a trot paper it it does it sounds extraordinarily trot (laughs) anyway so the report apologies in advance to the pro star if you're not a trot paper but for the moment (laughs) we are assuming you are a trot paper (laughs) Trot until proven otherwise, I'm afraid. Yeah. yeah At Wizard Cubes, to... if you're not a trot paper. Yeah, if you're, if you're not a trot paper, you need to come before the Council of Wizard Cubes and state your case. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Rob. Um, yeah, anyway, so um, there's been some scuttlebutt, not surprising to anybody, that uh, the Ford report is actually mostly done, but that currently it's being redraft- redrafted by the General Secretary and the Leader's Office because there are stories in there that go beyond what was already in the Labour leaks, and, you know, it just needs to be given a nice little little polish. Oh, just a little a little, a little polish, take the shit off of it. You know, just, uh, you know, make it make it nice and shiny and, you know... Very like rounded edges, and yeah, no, sounds great. Sounds great. Gear Starmer whipping, whipping the brass with it to try and fucking clear up that wee bullet hole that's right there. Oh, we'll get that out there, Jeffy. Aye. Yeah, there was also that was a, that was definitely more reliable. Uh, an investigation by Middle East Eye, which is very good. That's Peter O'Bourne's thing. Um, 
And mm-hmm. they've already revealed that the inquiry's original terms of reference and areas of focus have been completely altered anyway. So they're much more interested in who leaked it than the content of the thing. Um, so the fuckery no. behind the scenes is ongoing. I mean, surprise. I mean, it's not like that wasn't one of the primary aims of the whole fucking thing. Yes. Beyond um, anything else. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, but yeah, then just one more quick bit, which was, you know, I mean, the ongoing saga, I suppose related to Corona, but more in the ongoing saga of corruption and venality that, you know, is the real monarch of these benighted isles. The government's been handing out laptops to a whole bunch of kids who can't afford them, although, you know, vastly behind schedule uh, as usual. But uh, quite a few of them have come pre-installed with a virus that really wants to connect the kids' <laughs> laptops to unknown servers in Russia. <laughs> I should I should say at this point, we, we do wish Carol Kidwalder well after the <laughs> insane coronary that she suffered after learning about this. <laughs> Yeah, this is a bit of a fuck up, putting it mildly. Um, um, yeah, so I was reading on a, a little bit more about it, and apparently the the virus that's contained on these laptops, I can't remember the name of it, is apparently it's of such a severe and serious nature that like if you just uh, install like a common commercial antivirus scanner, apparently that one is not strong enough to get rid of this particular brand of whatever the fuck it is. Um, so you need mm. pr- a professional help to get rid of this uh, virus that's that's in, baked into the laptops. Uh, the company mm. that shipped these 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 fine KGB machines <laughs> is called Geocomputers, and apparently, the, according to the go- government contract they have with them, which they were contracted to, to ship, I think, give or take a hundred thousand computers. Uh, they've shipped so far seventy-seven thousand, and I'm not sure how many of those actually contain this amazing virus. Um, but even if you're one of the lucky, I won't say lucky, because if you're getting a free government laptop, that you know probably means your circumstances otherwise are not very good. But if you are one of the ones who are receiving one of these laptops, you may not be so happy anyway, uh, because just out of curiosity, because I thought it had to be this way, I had a quick look and at these laptops they were handing out and just to, to see just how shit they are and i found a review for for them uh from which which uh, which is pretty good right that's like con- good consumer reviews yeah 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 which government laptop are you going to receive citizen sorry <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this is the which review for the geobook one and flex which are their two cheapest models so i'm gonna bet that this is the one that's being uh, handed out i'm gonna read you just the the summary review uh, paragraph the worry for many will be the paltry 32 gigabytes of storage on both these models <laughs> what <laughs> what Past experience has found that Windows 10 laptops with so little storage struggle to complete Windows 10 updates, finding themselves in an update loop that will never end unless you free up space what? or in- insert a micro SD card to improve the storage. <laughs> Sorry, hang on, 32 gig hard drives? Yes, running Windows 10. Right, first of all, 11-year-old me just had his mind blown, right? <laughs> however, 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 modern me seriously 32 running windows 10 yep what how i didn't think can you right okay i genuinely didn't think you could get under 100 gigs these days as standard like you know well the government found a way it's like (laughs) jurassic park but with laptops 
you know. Buy our t-shirt. Yeah, it, it sounds like a dinosaur, you're yeah. right. It's, it's like, what? <laughs> it's, it's, it's the official laptop for this normal island, you know, buy the t-shirt. Sorry, yeah. Mm. yeah, you know, sometimes I, they link you to the KGB, sometimes they link you to uh, Reddit Wall Street Bets, and it's just a complete fucking <laughs> shit show. <laughs> Um, I just, I just like to point out. I've actually just had a little look in my in my Windows folder to see how large it is. It's um twenty four point eight gigabytes. <laughs> <laughs> so you you're left with like a cool seven gigabytes of storage to actually use there, which is great. Yeah. So all the kids are going to have to like do their homework on Paint and then just email that in every day. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. The first one that saves it is a bitmap. That's it. <laughs> okay, so on Amazon, just on the first portable hard drive I could find, right, a uh, a sixty gigabyte hard drive is twenty one quid. A two hundred and forty <laughs> is forty three. Okay, we're talking sub twenty quid hard drives internally, <laughs> and I can't actually find any for sale on Amazon. Um, this is not a joke. I think you can buy the whole laptop from the uh, the excellent uh, people at Geo for I think it was 119 quid. So if you buy it commercially uh, for like consumer use, Just, does that come with the Russian software pre-installed or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It comes. It comes with your own KGB agent to install it in your home. Yeah. Ah, it looks like you are trying to undermine the British government. Would you like some help with that? <laughs> <laughs> Just oh, a clippy wearing man. an Ushanka, that'd be amazing. <laughs> it, would be, it would be pretty great if it was like, you know, you come time to purchase and it's like, okay, by, as standard, this hard drive comes installed with an FBI agent to observe your activities. Would you like to upgrade to an old Soviet Union KGB agent? <laughs> uh, yes, I think I would. Let's go. And uh, it, it just, it doesn't seem to have much of an effect at first. But when it comes time, when you start posting kind of seditious stuff, right, you start getting editing notes and criticisms coming in going, that, insufficiently communist. You know, kind of, <laughs> I'll pay for that upgrade. That sounds good. Mm. That sounds actually, that sounds quite excellent. Yeah. It's like Grammarly, but, yeah. you know, um, socialisty. <laughs> it would be ideal for the KGB agent and my PC to keep the policeman in my head worried. <laughs> nice yeah. Shall we move on from this and get into the... Get into the dessert then. Yeah. Actually, uh, one quick story I think I might drop in here is that Ooh, yeah, um, one it. of the good news from last year was the statue of Edward Colston got dumped into the river, uh, well, the harbour in Bristol. Da, good work, Agent uh, Balloon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Which yeah. you are nowhere near or present in, Seb. That yes, nothing yes, to there, do with you whatsoever. there is copious amounts of evidence of me not being there. Which, um, bringing up is it's relevant, actually, because unfortunately four people have been charged with criminal damage uh, involving taking down the statue. Uh, so they were actually in court yesterday. Yeah, blimey. Just yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, and have denied the charges, but they're going for a full jury trial later in the year. So, um, yeah, just to basically keep you everyone up to date with what's going on there. And, you know, still my position is uh, that they were right to take that. Well, whoever did take down the statue was right to... Take it down in the way they did it was cool as hell. So it was, yes. and also your your actual physical position was at least two miles away from it at the time. <laughs> that too. Exactly. Can I check? Important question. What's happened to the statue? Mm -hmm. Oh, it got uh taken out to one of the museums for restoration and I believe it's still there. Long may it stay. Yeah. 
if if there's any kind of like social gathering permitted in uh june i'm really hoping we can ask the museum to throw it back in the harbor just as like reenactment um they probably won't <laughs> well, that, that would be a really nice yearly tradition yeah that yeah be... exactly it's definitely yeah, the crowds out, yeah yeah oh yeah but we'll have to see there's a, a few months left you can throw one of those living statues, you know, the people who dress up as one and then... Oh, right, yeah. Actually, yeah, that was the backup plan, just getting a bunch of people dressed <laughs> up in wigs and, uh, you know, various robes and just leaping in there. <laughs> Sorry, can I just, before we move on, and then we really will move on, but I'm literally just like, um, of course, fully into this podcast, but I had a brief look at Twitter. When I was telling you the story about the, the amazing GameStop story, right? Um, mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. from last Friday. Uh, last Friday, the value of the company bid up by uh, Redditors was $4.5 As of right now, GameStop has surpassed the $9.8 billion. Oh, What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Threshold. Uh, there are some others, but technically you could now include it in the Standard & Poor 500 average of all shares. a functioning economy Um, anyway shall we move on to the to the main course oh yes no that that was a very good interruption though on the note of a functioning economy ah yes very good i've got a feeling i'm about to be very fucking angry yes you (laughs) you are about to lose your fucking mind (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's fine i parked it for this episode let's go so before david starts reading this week's uh, amazing article um as i'm assuming most normal human beings don't know because why would you but two weeks ago uh, the shadow chancellor of the exchequer annalise dodds if anybody remembers who the fuck that is did a pretty major speech called the Maze Lecture, um, which is given oh, every yeah. year, to the Business School at City University London, which is, of course, a natural home for uh, Labour's Shadow Chancellor of the Exchequer. Yeah, so, and she's given a big speech, and in it are contained... You know how a lot of people were saying that Labour had no vision for the country, it's just reacting to stuff on a daily basis, and they said, no, 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 2021 is going to be the year of vision. Well, this is the first sign of the vision. And wouldn't you know it, it's, well... A boot stamping on her face forever? (laughs) If it were that, I would prefer We would be so lucky. (laughs) Oh, no. So I think, I mean, no, Seb also read it because I sent it to him and he's stupid enough to read these things as well. (laughs) I'd actually read it weeks ago when she did it as well. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on, am I the only person on the podcast who hasn't read this article? I actually also haven't read it in full yet. I have very, very lightly skimmed it. So for the most part, like I've done zero analysis on this. Seb's read the, the full speech, as have I, but... David and I are the only people who've written the article that was written about the speech. Uh, and that is what we shall be discussing today because there, it, it does, I won't say a good summary, summary, but a reasonable enough, and it's much funnier. Oh, no. Well. So, David, take it away. <laughs> Under the Radar, Labels Progressive Economic Agenda by Ian Dunt. Ah. Uh. <laughs> can I can oh. I go back and catch no. what Jamie's got and get out of this episode? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. Too late. You're down here with us now. Yeah. 
and much like Seb, we all float down here. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I was not going to say that, but I did think it. <laughs> so, I mean, I, fuck it, I, I, I broke my vow like, halfway through the episode, <laughs> yeah. so might as well like pile them on in the back half. That's it. And all it took was the threat of having to listen to an Ian Dunn article. Please, anything, anything but that. No, no, Seb, just give me the bike inflating tool. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. No. Give us a pump. No, yeah, no. I believe it was Norman Tebbit that said, "On your bike pump." <laughs> oh. Anyway, the article you're not getting out of it. Hardly anyone noticed, but Shadow Chancellor Annalise Dodds just made a remar- rather remarkable speech. It was big, meaty, intellectually challenging brimming with ideas and framed around a devastating pinpoint critique of Tory economic policy since 2010. Sounds like my last trip to the back, uh, bathroom, to be honest. This is, the, <laughs> this is where you go, narrator, it was none of those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or uh, well, it's Curtis' voice, but they were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Reading it, you got the unmistakable sense that you were looking at a new Golden Brown. <laughs> Woohoo! Fucking damning with faint praise. And that's not really because of Dodds's ideas. It's just been that long since we had someone of proper intellectual heft on the left outlining a viable progressive economic agenda. Sorry. Gordon. All right, okay, sure, right. That is um, that is some fucking hauntology right there. Right? It's, <laughs> it's genuinely exciting stuff if you're into that sort of thing, which I am. <laughs> Dodds's central criticism of conservative economic policy over the last 10 years is not that it was heartless or cruel. The standard rhetorical fire aimed by Labour during the Jeremy Corbyn era it is that it responds to political considerations rather than economic ones. Dodds oh, calls Jesus it Christ. The time oh. the, the air quote air quotes time inconsistency problem. Oh yeah, I remember that bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so bad. Jesus. This, fun- okay, just, oh, this started with the austerity agenda in two thousand. No no no, David, let me this the, it, I just love this. It's just it's oh, already okay. so good. It's just like in Dante's mind. There is a separation between political considerations and economic considerations. These are, you know, the economy is a holy, sacred, unknowable black box, golden egg of a thing that must just exist. And politics does not act upon economics, nor vice versa. These are separate spheres, just just unspeakably moronic. Yeah, no, it's like the economic sphere, right? That's the, that's the spiritual sphere, and then the political sphere, that's the temporal sphere. And the temporal sphere inherits its legitimacy from the spiritual sphere, but it does not directly like impact upon and should not impact upon the practices of the spiritual sphere. Like uh You're, you're overanalyzing this. You're overanalyzing this. It's it, no it, 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 it's literally in Dodd's is speech as well. Like there's a point where she's talking about central bank independence, i.e. taking it outside of government control. And then she says, oh, that sounds great. Yeah. And then she says, as former governor, Mark Carney rightly summarized, the UK's monetary policy regime is both democratically legitimate and highly effective. So it's democratically <laughs> legitimate because the democratically elected government doesn't control it anymore. <laughs> Listen, you, you're overanalyzing all of this because all this is right here is Ian Dunn recognizing that there is a separation between church and state. 
I was I was literally going to say render onto economics the things that are economics and onto the state <laughs> the things that are the things. <laughs> I mean, oh. yeah, like that, that. This is not a joke. That is the role of economics in our modern economy. Yes, we have moved from kind of having you know divine right of kings, religious feudalist states into economics taking the role of god essentially and yes. for more on this uh you know i can talk about it later but for now go yeah. on david make my render onto gamestop what is gamestops <laughs> james <laughs> although surprisingly Ray, you know divine right of kings no, or names still ruled by nonsense stop it. Stop it. <laughs> too long of a divergence from the article will not be tolerated <laughs> right this started with the austerity agenda. The thing about GameStop is, though, that when you really think about it, it's more like render. I'm going to edit this all out anyway, so I don't care how good this bit is, it's getting edited out. Oh, well, that was going to be the best joke on the episode now, David, but just. That's fine. That, I'm gonna, and like I said. I'm going to withhold it. That's fine. Good. Like I said, you can see it if you want. I'll still edit it out. No, 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 no. no. Render unto David what belongs to the podcast, and I'll render unto comedy the actual joke. Sure. <laughs> oh, this started with the austerity agenda in 2010 it was too early to start reining in spending after the financial crash but the program was adopted anyway predominantly because of its electoral usefulness it has been a dismal failure George Osborne made millions of lives more miserable and poverty stricken than they needed to be and yet debt increased from 1 trillion in May 2010 to 1.8 trillion in February 2020 Consecutive Conservative chancellors have missed every debt and deficit target they set themselves. You do get the strong sense that Dante's may way more upset about the debt than about the, you know, the deaths and the poverty and the, the misery, essentially. Oh, well, fiscal prudence yeah. is, uh, you know, greater than... I have but one life to give for the national debt, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it is genuinely exciting stuff if you're into that sort of thing, which I am. <laughs> Political timetables were also responsible for the last-minute Brexit deal on Christmas Eve. There was nothing in that deal which couldn't have been agreed in the summer. Indeed, the proposals in it were first put forward months earlier, but Boris Johnson took it right to the line, in part because it would make him look tougher with his own hardline MPs. Fuck me, he's got his own time inconsistency problem here. That doesn't make any goddamn sense at all. <laughs> no, it really does <laughs> The result was businesses scrambling to prepare for new trading arrangements coming into force in a matter of days. God said, Small and medium-sized businesses are in many cases now facing annihilation under the sudden avalanche of extra bureaucracy inflicted on them. Oh yeah, fucking hell. Wade through your fucking notes, which are somehow longer than the speech itself. Yes, yes, my notes, <laughs> my separate side notes on this on her speech are only six pages, fuck you. <laughs> Anyway, there is some bullshit in the speech itself where she says one of the biggest problems that Labour wants to tackle when they come into government is yeah. that uh, th there is too much paperwork for SMEs. So they want to, one of this is the in the big ideas section of the speech is reduce paperwork. Like that's, it's literally in there. <laughs> oh, excellent. The same last minute pattern applies to COVID support packages. Plans have been chopped and changed often at the last minute, Dodd said. Support has been linked to arbitrary dates in the calendar rather than progress in tackling the virus. Businesses and workers have found themselves unable to plan for the coming days or weeks, let alone months, because of the stop-start nature of government schemes. Parents have been unable to plan in the coming days and weeks because of inconsistencies in Labour's position in opening the fucking schools! 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's a legit criticism, but Labour has no leg to stand on no. offering a coherent path through as an alternative. Because all they, they did was was say, we agree with the government. Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, if, if you're going to agree with the government and the government continues to change all its fucking timescales, then you kind of are as well, especially if you're waiting for them to say what the policy is going to be so that you can then hastily pre-announce the policy and say it was your idea, even though it blatantly <laughs> wasn't. Isn't yeah. that right, Keith? Isn't that fucking right? Anyway, back to the article. This has not only made the economic impact worse, but the pandemic more severe. The lack of support for low-income people who need to self-isolate means fewer of them are able to do so, which leads to increased transmission. The worse the virus gets, the worse the ensuing economic harm. And so the cycle continues. Uh, No. No. This is just not... (laughs) He's just full of shit. The worse the virus gets, the worse the ensuing harm. Yes, but... If you do the lockdown properly, as you know, real people have been recommending for months and months and months on end, and you know, lock it down hard like the New Zealanders and the Australians did, and just pay serious money from the jump, it would have been better. But no, that wasn't this government. It was also not Labour's policy at the time, because Labour's policy at the time, supported by Annalise Dodds, was that the economy must keep fucking running at all times, always. It's all, it means it's, it's uh, you know, I, I hate to go as Isaac, but it is just pure, pure <laughs> ideology because they just don't want to pay out. They just don't yeah. want to pay out massive public works of any kind, even when they are desperately, crucially needed and would be good for the economy. They don't want to do it because then people are going to question, well, why can't, why can't we do that for other things? Mm. I honestly think that's pretty much the long and short of it. Some of them might take a, a few kind of detours to arrive at the same place, but... That's the underlying logic. That's what that's what it is. It's just we can't have nice things because then you'll realise that you can have nice things. Yeah, like mm. there's the hundred thousand of people you know have died at least, given our slightly iffy recording practices sometimes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, certain high political figures are basically thinking, Ooh, well, at least they don't have a strong government out of it. You know, like with actually well-funded institutions that will uh, withstand the test of time and be able to react to the things like this in the future. That's a bonus for them as well. Yeah, but I want in in the speech itself. She actually she goes on to say that like um, the the virus is getting better now and the economy is already improving, which is an extraordinary statement to make. And I'll just pressing pressing X on that one, mate. What, yeah. what the fuck? And I'll, I'll I'll read you like a line from her original speech. And it's a shame that Elijah isn't on. This is Annalise Dodd saying, the prospect for key UK economic sectors like hospitality and the performing arts are now immeasurably improved compared to the depths of the first lockdown. What? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> It immeasure- no, you know what? Actually, that's that's technically true. Yeah, that is true. You can- Sorry, it immeasurable in the sense that it is actually impossible to measure <laughs> values below the plank length, so you can't actually see the improvement. Yeah. Okay. Checks out. Sure. Well, Bunny has some good news. Now the government looks set to make the same mistake again. In order to deliver tax cuts just ahead of the next general election, reports suggest that they are planning to tighten spending as soon as possible. Once again, they are not responding to economic criteria, but to an electoral timescale. Hmm. Huh. Almost like politics and economics are not separable, you fucking moron. Dodd said, The combination of turbulence and business support, a failure to get a grip on the public health crisis, and last-minute chaos around Brexit, have led to a situation where the UK has gone from being a highly stable business environment (laughs) to one characterised by instability and uncertainty. The British economy... 
famous for its uh, stability, certainly over the last five years, not, you know, Mr. Toad's wild fucking ride. Well, no, I mean, like, the British economy has been, like, we took a, we took a mortal blow back in 2008 and handled it terribly. And we've just been bleeding out since. And now I think what the stage we're at, I reluctantly am forced to conclude that essentially the capitalist kind of oligarchs have pretty much as a class decided the thing to do here is cut the throat and extract whatever wealth you can and flee. Like, I I honestly, that's the vibe I get from Britain as it currently well, stands. What, what, if, what if she did actually have an alternative? Oh boy, the alternatives are so good. The alternatives okay. are so powerful. You you won't believe it. It's her alternative, so right? Check this. Her alternative is your quotes a responsible fiscal framework, which is your <laughs> quotes based on pragmatism. Ah, uh, sorry. I just felt my testicles just ascend into my body, and like my just my genitals have completely shriveled just from that sentence. Jesus well, fucking Christ. Wait for it, because you're about oh, to no. perform a self-orchiectomy here, <laughs> which is based on pragmatism rather than dogmatism <laughs> on the overall resilience of our economy rather than narrow political considerations. Christ. Is it possible to have an anti-orgasm? <laughs> <laughs> just void uh, yourself into non-existence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So what yeah, does it uh, like? you can you can tell that she's like a PPE graduate. It's like oh yeah yeah oh yeah yeah. James, you yeah. know that feeling where like you've taken a whole bunch of cocaine and like afterwards all your dopamine supplies and your brains have run out and you become completely anhedonic for a while. That's what this is. <laughs> Man, you have a much more exciting weekend than I do. <laughs> <laughs> so what does it look like? This is where things get interesting. Ooh. Okay. Um. Dodds understands that low interest rates mean it is currently very easy for the government to borrow money. Quoting again, mm, as long as that is the case, government must make use of benign circumstances to avoid choking off recovery via premature and politically motivated fiscal tightening, she said. This right. is the sensible and humane Keynesian course. Right. But it uh, would it be is. an irresponsible economic policymaker who planned on the assumption that low interest rates will continue indefinitely. <laughs> this, I love this. We can't use good things now because bad things may happen in the future. And also, like, I cannot, I cannot stress this enough. I think I've talked about it on previous episode. Where the fuck is this increase in, in interest rates going to come from? Like, Mark Blythe does a whole thing. You can look it up. Whatever, go to one of his YouTube videos. Um, the Bank of Japan did like a huge long-run stu study on global oh, yeah. interest rates since like 1400, give or take. I don't know, a really fucking long time ago. The downward pace of interest rates is perennially going down, except for a few blips. And the reason for it, there's just always the, the supply of capital in the world is forever expanding because there's just more stuff being made, so and there's the more transactions. So this the, the pool of capital is forever growing. Therefore, the interest rate will essentially always go lower to the bound. There's no you know, apart from like weird shit in the 1970s, which we won't get into in this podcast. But like, where the fuck is it going to come from? Because the main way that people identify as inflation rising is wages rising leading to increased production costs leading to increasing wage costs and that produces inflation when the flying fuck has anybody had a 
fucking wage increase in this benighted fucking hellhole of a country? Where the fuck is it going to come from, Annalise? Is it going to be the fucking sky god? Is it going to be the cloud people that are going to produce the fucking inflation? Jesus, <laughs> I just... Well, oh. I mean, here's the thing. Even, right, as I have said at tedious length, even if you just go, okay, <laughs> let's pretend inflation rates can actually increase, it doesn't matter. It doesn't actually matter. There is a reciprocal mechanism when it comes to government debt, whereby if you are prepared, if you are prepared to take a political action in the shepherding of the economy, you can essentially write off any interest rate increases and capital just has to eat it. Because that's the assumption, right? The, the assumption that this all depends on is you can't soak the rich ever. Mm. You can't do that. The reality is, yes, you can. Yes, you can. If interest rates go up, you can easily cover it by making some economic decisions which the rich won't like very much. It won't fuck them, but they won't like it. They'll be upset for a little while. And that's it. In a theoretical sense, you don't even have to do that because she it, it's not in this piece, but she does mention it in her speech, in, in her speech when she's talking about the Bank of England. The Bank of England of that 1.8 trillion uh, total UK uh, government debt, the Bank of England owns half of it. We own half this money to ourselves on a computer screen. It, yeah. it, it could literally be erased tomorrow and it would have no impact on the real economy. It, it would just go but, poof. But this is the thing. This is the thing, right? They're, they're afraid. They're genuinely afraid that essentially if they cancel that debt, then what that means in practice is the spending that was done to incur that debt was just printing money. And that's bad because it will devalue the currency. That's their thinking. It's completely wrong. It's, it's completely and utterly wrong, but rich people won't like that, therefore you can't do that, is the underpinning of all like modern economics, essentially. Yeah. Except they don't say the rich people won't like that part. They just say, oh, it's bad to do this. Why? Well, it's just bad. It leads to bad outcomes. For who? Who are these bad outcomes for? Well, for everyone, because the economy will do badly. Yes, but but who who in particular benefits from the current economic arrangement uh we don't like your questions and then the kgb agent who's like running my hard drive just says ah, ah comrade <laughs> comrade dial it down dial it down they're noticing we'll move on in a second david but like i just want to bring in like one more thing even if there is inflation inflation you have to remember this is like super important for like most if not every anybody who listens to this podcast inflation is good for people with debt because it destroys the actual value of your debt. Inflation is bad for people with assets because their assets become less valuable over time measured in whatever currency. If you have debt, if you have debts, which most of us do, and it's even like if you have a mortgage, inflation is good. You want inflation. It would help out a lot of people in the current economy if there was a giant swig of inflation that would burn off a lot of debt, except your debt is some rich prick's asset. And that's why it's not allowed to happen. Yeah, there, it was very clear in just when Dodds was talking about the, the central bank and the continued independence, because, you know, central banks used to have a variety of targets. It was not just uh, inflation rate targeting. There were employment targets and just any other kind of macroeconomic indicators they were thinking about but when all of those got removed apart from the inflation target when they got made independent and you know just in the last couple of decades when quantitative easing became the standard mode of central bank business then it's just very clear that the entire point of the central bank is to protect assets and protect asset prices 
because anything that threatens those, it will do anything and everything it can to crush them and uh, protect the asset prices. And so that's why, you know, the American stock market, GameStop aside, is just um, exploding due to incredible amounts of, um, you know, money from the government. And then, yeah, like it, that's a, a global phenomenon, basically, because all the central banks end up having to do stuff like this. It's yeah, it yeah. it's just they genuinely need to. They're, they're instruments in class war, no matter how independent they claim to be. Anyway, yeah. shall we move on, 100%. David? <laughs> yeah, sorry, that was another biggest. <laughs> no, no, you're completely correct. A solution is borrowed from the Institute of Fiscal Studies, the <laughs> IFS, which suggested a rolling forward-looking <sighs> target of current budget balance, which allows the government to borrow when interest rates are low, so it can help in the bad times. But that is controlled by a fiscal anchor which would limit the amount of permanent tax cuts or spending increases in a crisis oh jesus christ it's an attempt to put yep what (laughs) (laughs) well let me stop you there i heard every word sorry i I heard every word you said there but i actually can't wrap my brain around it could you please repeat that it's controlled by a fiscal anchor which would limit the amount of permanent tax cuts or spending increases in a crisis. The next paragraph kind of goes on. It's an attempt to put down a set of long-term rules about annual deficits and the stock of debt which allow for support when needed and restraint when sensible, responding to economic rather than political considerations. We must move beyond the post-2010 consensus, Dodd said, and instead ensure that public spending is controlled and directed. So... Sorry, I, like again, it. I I get Crack. it now, Bing. but my brain initially rejected this because yes, yes. it's so stupid. So they're saying basically they want to legislate what governments yes. can do in terms of spending and not just spending, but in in terms of um just their taxation policy. They want to legislate to tie the hands of government yes. as a means. Yes to yes. make the economy more independent from political decisions. Mm. Is, is that what I'm hearing? The, no, you, no, you're going to get that. Sorry, David, more. just just one more thing, because we, <laughs> there will be answers to this. I love this. And maybe I'm not British enough, although I, I certainly give it a try to be miserable, you know. But why is the... Inst- <laughs> a, I have two questions. Is like, why is the Institute of Fiscal Studies the holy grail of whatever and like the impartial hand of God that tells whether or not things, things are right? And two, I distinctly remember, we talked about it a couple of podcasts ago. You remember that graph where, you know, productivity goes up every year and its projections and the <laughs> yeah. line always like shoots up like a <laughs> maniac and it never oh, fucking yeah. does. That graph, is doesn't that one belong to the IFS because it's produced yes. with the budgets, etc.? Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah, Why the fuck? That's... That's from the brain trust at the IFS. That graph, yeah. What? The, um, what? Uh, little known, their theme, their theme song, I think, was recorded a while ago. It goes something like, "Cause they had high hopes." Oh. <laughs> that, that's, that is their role. <laughs> right. I'm going to push on with some more explanations of this because it's 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 an incredible it's so thing stupid. to wrap your brain around. Before you, before you do, David, um, we talked before about why the fixed term Parliament Act is shit, right? Mm. Because it sets rules, but then a strong government can essentially just vote to ignore the rules for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any attempt to tie the economy 
in terms of legislation to restrict government influence on the economy in terms of legislation like this would basically be subject to the same problem. It would be whenever there is enough of a coalition of strong enough capitalists, they would disregard the rules in their favour, but the yes. rest of the time it would be used to fuck you. So, yes. you know, just... Uh, anyway. Just, mm -hmm. I, I can't... Like, how many times can people try the same thing? It's like, it's a definition of madness. How many times can you try the same thing, despite evidence that it's not going to work, but you'll say, ah, this time, though, this time, please believe me, what this is that this is a this is a trap, right? That they're setting. If they ever do get into power and they put this in place, like say ten years from now when they're again no longer in power, they can turn around and they can say the withering line, "You can't do that. That's illegal. That's that's all this is. There's nothing more to it than that because yeah, it could just be fucking overturned at a moment's notice by anyone who actually thinks it's shit, which is everyone else." This is this fiscal anchorship, right? This saying in, in law, we will never spend more than X because that's the responsible line, et cetera, et cetera. And she's a little bit before she was talking about that we must move beyond the post-2010 consensus. This is the, 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 the 2000 consensus again. This is the post-2008 consensus, which is we must do anything and everything we can because otherwise the market will punish us for our profligacy. And, you know, if you remember that famous phrase from the from, from the fucking crisis years, the, the bond vigilantes will come for us. You know, Britain's, the interest rate on Britain's state will, will rise. She, she wants to take us back to fucking 2008, 2010. It's just, it's so fucking stupid. I, oh. The Labour right has, like, never had any new good ideas. But it, now they're just repeating the bad old ones as well and thinking it's new. Yeah. It's just appalling. Yeah. Right. I'm going to get back into it. That flexibility will then be used for social democratic economic programs. Ooh. Oh, 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 oh God. <laughs> just fucking. Oh, you don't even know what they are, though. Yeah, like that. There is no mention of those in Dodd's speech. Yes, like, there is. She does it's, not name oh, a no, single. No, oh, yes, she does. It's fucking terrible. Well, right. Well, Dunty's managed to infer what they are. Right. Support for sectors which are struggling. A green stimulus to get Britain to net zero while creating thousands of jobs. Action on low wages. Investment in public services so that they are resilient the next time an external threat like coronavirus rears its head. Right. couple things here. Um, she does actually go into <laughs> mm -hmm. the green yeah, stimulus. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack. Yeah, there's so much to unpack. But I want to, because, you know, the thing that she talks about in the green stimulus, um, which is where she says, if Labour gets into power, we will spend 30 billion over 18 months, which she says will create 400,000 jobs, which I don't think is true. But whatever, let's assume, you know, I know the, the, the Labour Green New Deal people have worked on this quite seriously, and they do say there are a lot of jobs into it. But whatever. They, she says 30 billion over 18 months. Anybody want to refresh their memory? Um, how big uh, a green investment fund Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell were proposing before these this fucking lot of chances came in? Was it Wasn't much it like more than that? Odd? It was two hundred and fifty billion. It was literally more than eight times as much as this idiot oh. is proposing. Excellent. Sorry, I think uh, I think I got the wrong end of the stick there. I thought you meant for this particular purpose rather than the overall fund. No, no, it was just the green stimulus. Was the green uh, the the green yeah, New yeah, deal okay, right, was two hundred fifty billion? And... No, hang on a minute. Right, sorry. Wait a minute. So 
this this thirty billion. That's the whole of what oh, I'm yes. proposing. Yeah, but that's responsible. Oh God! That we see. Oh right, no, I totally misheard that. I thought you. Oh God, that's <laughs> holy shit! That is a, that is an astonishingly small amount. Yeah, that's almost one GameStop. <laughs> or one PlayStation. It's, it's less than a GameStop. Like, it's it's, <laughs> it's also shit. important to note the other that. Um, investment in public services so that they are resilient the next time an external threat reels its head that means cuts that's all that means resilience yeah. means cuts yeah. it means shredded to the fucking bone it means one more thing um and you'll 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 notice it because it's this is interesting because it's now starting to creep its way like into journalists right uh, the word resilience is one to really look out for and be extremely careful over because resilience is like mm-hmm. the new Davos buzzword. It's like the thing that the Davos yes. set talks about, resilient societies, resilient economics. And what it means is is able to recover from shocks quickly. But essentially what it was invented for was climate resilience, i.e. we're no longer going to fix climate change. We're just going to build big walls around Miami. Like that's the type of resilience. Resilience, <laughs> is, that's what that means. And like it's anybody who looks at you square in the face and talks seriously and uses the word resilience on repeat, take a chair and hit them over the fucking head. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like the new flexibility, isn't it? It's yeah. like, oh, that's a good thing. It's going to be reactive and responsive and able to get out there and do things. And no, it just means everything cut to the bone. If right. anyone, so if any yeah. one of you have ever worked in an office and you've heard a manager use the term flexibility and it's nothing to do with the hours that you work yes it's bad it's, it's not it's not a good thing resilient not no no bad word not not a good yeah. word to hear right this public investment will come with guarantees dodds wants tax and spend projections to be extended from the current five years to 10 with estimates for the 10 years after that giving an overall 20 year budgeting horizon this would hopefully open up a more honest debate about Jesus long-term Christ. issues like social care and gaps in pension provision. More importantly, she wants to focus on value. There is no such thing as a 20-year projection that is ever true in any sense of the fucking word. Sir, I will refer you to the IFS graph. <laughs> yeah, the IFS uh, does some really good 20-year predictions. It does them every year. we've just passed the first two decades of this stupid fucking millennium if you were a live listener in uh the year 2000 and maybe even reading the papers or something had you projected outward from the year 2000 do you think you would have ended up in this insanely stupid future that's why all (laughs) 20-year horizons are fucking dumb Let's all project out from the year to the past. We are cocaine. Well, what if I told you that she wants to focus on something even more important? She wants to focus on value. The Johnson administration has an appalling record here. A predicted £22 billion on test, trace and isolate, which is not delivered. £16 billion on antibody tests that didn't work. £150 million on unusable face masks. £12 million on an app that had to be scrapped. And government contracts handed out to people with political connections. Instead, she proposes... Oh yeah, this is, this is my favourite This is If this bit doesn't send you completely wild, I don't know what will. This is my absolute favourite bit. All right. Strapping in. Let's go, David. 
<laughs> Instead, she proposes that the Comptroller and Auditor General submits an annual report to Parliament on the value of spending, which brings together <laughs> National Audit Office work into a single assessment with a government requirement for response. Each year's budget would set out its own assessment of the effectiveness of public spending, quoting, hardwiring value for money and financial control into the budgetary process. <laughs> That's how many what words you need to say fuck? to avoid saying nationalisation. <laughs> <laughs> This so much. This is just this is hey, so so uh, so person who is ultimately politically beholden to me, admittedly at a remove. Uh, what do you think of the work I've been doing? Oh, I think it's been great. Excellent. We fulfilled that criteria. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, it's it's obviously toothless. And even if it was working effectively, it's just another example of her saying, actually. I shouldn't be in charge of the economy. <laughs> it is. It is. Oh, it's, it's worse than that, though, because, okay, let's take, let's actually take it at face value, right? <laughs> let's say we get an independent office that is actually going to assess the government's work and uh, issue a report and the government is required to respond to it. All right. Put that in our current parliament. The Tories just get up and go, ah, oh, we reject these findings. And they sit down again. Mm. That's it. Yeah, or, That's it. or they That's just it. yeah they 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 say thank you for this report. We'll study it carefully, you know, while shredder noises play in the background. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> that, that is all this does. Um, it's like it, it, this is a perfect example of something the Democrats do all the time, and I guess Labour is now well truly back on this bullshit, which mm. is that they're very careful to set up systems that tie only their hands. Yes, yes, you know. Because if, if they did set this up, then they would take it very seriously and, oh, I'm sorry, we'd love to nationalise railways. But the but comptroller I'm, I'm afraid, won't let us. You know, yeah, the comptroller's <laughs> going to review it really badly. Um, then, you know, the Republicans slash Tories come in and uh, they're like, oh, yeah, well, uh, the comptroller isn't very happy with this. Moving on. Yeah. Like, you know, that, that's that's it. Like, this is... this is It's like that all that current stuff in America right now to do with, like, abolishing the filibuster in the Senate. Yeah. Uh, exactly the same fucking cursed energy. Anyway, it's, sorry, it's set, that is well off topic. It's setting up a quangle for your mum to say that you can't come out and play. Yeah. <laughs> I got a J D on my spending test and I can't come out. <laughs> James, just a little... We won't get distracted too much by US Paul, but just a little side note. Did you see the, the Democrats' like first big achievement on the biden that they've put out this evening uh which one i'm not i don't think i've seen they this evening. they they want they want to raise the minimum wage in the united states by so much that by the end of 2025 the minimum wage will be 15 dollars an hour oh fucking <laughs> yeah it's this this is the kind of shit fucking amazing <laughs> they've done it we've done it lads we've done it 15 dollars an hour we've done it we've done it everything's good now yeah in 2025 in 20 in 2025 <laughs> wait, wait wait hang on when, when did we first propose 15 dollars an hour when when was that first floated as a reasonable wage uh how many years ago now how many yeah how many years ago S seb can i ask you something yeah like you were when you were, when corbyn was in charge like you did quite a bit of campaigning and stuff right you were out on the doorstep Oh, yeah, I was out canvassing quite a lot. Actually. So just remember, it's like, uh, I, I just want you to picture the scenario. You know, it's a, it's a, you're near Bristol, I want to say, is that correct? 
Yeah, Bristol area. Yeah. So you're it's okay. The cops the cops already know exactly where he was <laughs> yeah. when the statue was dumped in the harbour. You don't need to you know, it's fine. So like it's 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 a rainy evening, you've just climbed down from your local statue and um you're off to do as you are want to do, some some nice campaigning uh for Labour because you really want them to win. You knock on uh, you know, an undecided voter's door as the app tells you to do. And, uh, you know, somebody opens and it's clearly somebody who's not doing financially very well. And you look them straight in the eye and you say, Madam, have you ever heard of the Comptroller and Auditor General of the United Kingdom? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's absolutely opening line doorstop um, kind of, uh, you know. What if I told you we have a fiscal anchor? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm, just, I'm loving i'm just picturing like seb standing there with this small smile on his face really eager and hopeful the door gets slammed in his face and then he shrugs and goes back to the app and goes well it counts towards my progress uh i'm gonna get that phone call, get that phone call. <laughs> this is uh, how yes. we get keith on the pod <laughs> yeah. you need to canvas more or keith will come and speak to your clp <laughs> yeah that's that negative reinforcement is the way to do it Right, there are three really impressive things happening here. Bear no, mind, they're not. Again, this is Ian Dunn, so <laughs> technically he's not wrong here. To him, these are impressive. <laughs> the breadth of appeal, the national <laughs> opportunities offered by it, and the extent of the intellectual heft behind it. Okay, right, sorry. The fucking handbrake on. <laughs> We're parking the car. I'm turning round to you, David. And I'm just going, sorry, hang on. Breadth of appeal. Yes. Yes. Would bread right, so so who is this all appealing to? Uh, the sensible centre. Gr- James O'Brien. Right. It's literally designed to appeal to James O'Brien. Do you know what percentage of the population actually are grown ups? It's <laughs> most of them. <laughs> grown ups who want sensible solutions. Mm-hmm. And uh the second point? The national off- opportunities offered by it. Yeah, could you could you just uh, you know have a what what national opportunities? For um, well, the comptroller and the auditor general. <laughs> okay, and that that third one, David. That, that, the that intellectual heft behind it. Well, that one, fair enough. This is obviously I'm reading an article. You're listening to me read it. It's not a good medium. But if you were actually to watch the speech, she okay, was actually sat a on a off, chair. I'm putting the foot down and I'm accelerating towards the cliff. <laughs> I just can't Man, take this anymore. No, she she was just she was sat there. On a chair made out of her own brain matter. (laughs) (laughs) Thrumming and vibrating as it levitated into the air. Okay. Dodd sees that the business community is primed for an approach by Labour. No, it's not. After all, how much more acrimonious could the relationship with the Johnson administration get? Um, Uh, They've just trousered all the money. A few paragraphs above, you literally said that they got money. But, no, 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 but, but, the Prime Minister's approach towards them is literally fuck business. No, it's not, you fucking halfwit! (laughs) Actually, those are Boris Johnson's own words, and he wouldn't tell a lie. Oh, God. (laughs) If you're going to start impersonating Peston on this podcast, I'm going to... Fucking blood is going to come out of my ears. No, I'm just, I'm simply explaining why fucking Ian Dunn thinks this is a logical route to go down. Boris Johnson said it, therefore it must be true, is the only conclusion to take here. 
They have spent nearly half a decade unable to plan for the regulatory environment due to the chaos over Brexit. When our departure from the EU came, it was at the last minute, in the dead of night, with insufficient preparation, in the middle of a pandemic. Like, right. I'm, I'm fucking sorry. Okay, there is a... Like, just a little bit of elaboration for our readers and, and listeners here, I should say. Because I know there's some people going to read this article. Just let, let me lay this out. There is a, there's a context missing here, which is that if you are a big company, then you certainly have fucking planned because you have the capacity to plan either way. You, you put in, in place plans to leave the UK in the event of Brexit, and that's what all of them did. That's what all of them did. They, they, they worked out, okay, well, what do we have to do for operations if this is actually going to be X, Y, and Z? And then they executed largely on these plans. The ones who can't, who haven't been able to plan, are the mid to small tier organizations. And um, so, you know, Johnson has fucked over small business, but that's kind of it. And at the end of the day, those small businesses aren't the ones that the Tories really care about. I mean, yeah. I hate to be so blunt about it, but yeah. And it's fine because there's there's other Tory policies that they can fall back on that small business owners might well appreciate, like racism. Yeah. Mm. James, to bring up a point that you've made over several you know episodes, which is correct and also good, which is this last-minute departure in the middle of the night with insufficient preparation in the middle of a pandemic is known once again as shock doctrine because it allows a right-wing government to do whatever the fuck it wants and enact laws that it wants while everybody else is reeling in panic yeah i mean like a great example of that just coming up is um you know the the ending of the eu work time directive 48 hours now that was already like totally ignored <laughs> by most of the um you know yeah. companies in the country just because they <laughs> they you would have an optional waiver but if you weren't signing the optional waiver you weren't getting the contract that's how optional it yeah, was <laughs> I, I i remember getting a job at, um, in weatherspoons yeah and when i was sitting doing the end of the induction and i was signing everything the last two bits of paper i got put down in front of me were the contract and the working time directive opt-out and they told me, sign that one first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fuck. Like, come on. To be fair, I, yeah. did, I, I didn't work in the UK. They did the same to me. Mm. So it was, it yeah, was never no, like, it, it was like a, an arbitrary, well, uh, an abstract threshold. Um, and, you know, so now the Tories are happy to get rid of that arbitrary, um, unapplied law entirely. Yeah, well, and then Labour is well, now falling back to saying, no, we defend the 48-hour work week. As if it... <laughs> <laughs> That's how like, ambitious they're going for. It's... If the 48-hour work week is also just too fucking long, right? Mm. You know, there's, there's a lot of research to show that a four-day work week massively improves productivity across the board. And, uh, yeah, just, no, fuck it. Just fuck it. Full day week and a three-day bendle. That's the way to do it. It's just... The la this this is what these people, these fucking the James O'Briens and Dantes of the world call, you know, serious intellectual heft and a breadth of ideas and really appealing. It's literally designed to appeal to Ian Dunt and James O'Brien. That's all this fucking thing is going to do. <sighs> yeah, well, the jolting inadequacy of the government's economic policy is fatally oh. undermining Britain's reputation as a reliable investment climate. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not! <laughs> if we get to the point that people are seriously going, no, we're not going to invest in the UK, 
then the UK is a failed state. So, yeah, do you, what he's basically saying is that UK government policy right now is to make us a failed state. And I might not disagree with that, but uh, I'm pretty sure that's not what he means. So, just hitting the big red buzzer on this one, sorry. I, I refer you to my previous statement. No, it's not. This government's economic policy is not undermining Britain's reputation as a reliable investment climate because the vast majority of money that comes sluicing into the medieval fucking shit show that is known as the City of London, otherwise known as one of the biggest tax dodges in the fucking universe, doesn't come here for productive investment, as in like fucking mm -hmm. factories or new fishing boats to, to, to dredge the empty seas or, I don't know, farm projects to, 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 to get young people to literally shovel carbon from the air into the soil or whatever the fuck it's doing. The most of the money that fucking comes here is to, to join the speculative fiesta that is the fucking London Stock Exchange and the Euro dollar market. Britain's reputation as a reliable investor exists because it's got a court system that reliably always rules in favor of rich people and because it the United Kingdom is, I think, number three or four on the most tax-dodging fucking countries and tax havens that exist on the face of this rapidly heating fucking ball of a planet. The reason why, and that is not fatally undermined by Brexit, quite frankly, it's improved by it because now Britain is no longer tied to all those other EU directives on fucking fiscal probity and having any kind, even a fucking semblance of responsibility and openness and trustworthiness. So it makes it even easier for this for Mohammed bin Salman and his fucking bloody hands to park more money here or, you know, Vladimir Putin to buy another fucking estate in the countryside. I know he has too. You know, that's the reliable investment climate that's going to fucking stay because it relies on the people of Britain being immiserated and that process will continue regardless. I fucking hate this man. So, well, actually, one one small thing there, Rob. Uh, EU passporting, bank passporting, do you see that impacting on any of that at all? Yeah, that it's, it, it, in the end, that will create problems. And there has been, like, serious money moving out of London because they want to be in Euro markets. But, like... You know, I think so far as I know these things, and this is more of a trash future thing, but I think the euro dollar market is still a thing. And that's like the biggest money spinner yeah. in, in and, and all and has been for London since the seven, late 70s, I want to say, when that was invented. Yeah. So like, and the reason I asked that, the reason I asked that question is yet again to illustrate that he may well be right, but not in a way he means he is. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, Dunn's paradox. Um, <laughs> on that, um, on that reputation as a reliable investment climate being let down, Dodds is doing this while maintaining the flexibility required for a Keynesian spending program with ambitious proposals for climate change. Okay, public services. Okay, you know what? what as what, what's a really good metaphor for for flexibility? Anchors. Anchors always remind me of flexibility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, notoriously they are you know you drop an anchor and then you're chained to it and as the waves whip you back and forth that chain holds you in place um i mean we might be mixing metaphors a little bit here Possibly. you know maybe 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 they mean flexible in terms of like you know barometric flexibility because if you tie an anchor on someone and drop them in the water they will very flexibly move from being at you know sea level to you know several nautical leagues under the sea so maybe maybe it's in that sense he means it mm. Mm. um it is a viable credible deliverable left-wing economic program 
which can maintain business support. Ooh. Oh, Christ. If you can establish that position, you have a convincing electoral proposition. It would also, and this is the most important part. You know, the founding of the Labour Party, and I remember, you know, vaguely, I think it said in its, in its articles of starting whatever the fuck it was, um, this party is dedicated to maintaining business support. I think it was in there. <laughs> yes, that, yeah. was, to secure... that was the main reason that Vladimir Lenin was suspicious of it. <laughs> yeah, to, to secure by hand or by brain the full fruits of labour for the corporation yeah. seeking to oppress a working man. <laughs> oh. It's an attempt to put down a new economic status quo which ignores the idiot binary of laissez-faire fanatics on the right and incontinent socialists on the left. A plan for state... Yes, a plan for state involvement in the economy which simultaneously aims to provide a sustainable framework over the cycle. He is used incontinent there specifically because the only people who reliably fucking own him on Twitter are identifiable by the hammers and sickles and their fucking... Profile pictures. Yeah, that's not what shitposting means. <laughs> but perhaps most rewardingly, it is simply a tremendous relief to see a shadow chancellor who is putting forward a well thought through agenda for how to frame economic policy in an ambitious but pragmatic way. It's been a long time since we have seen a viable progressive program like this from Labour, and that's what we have here. And it's about time. Now, God. That's the article. If I was going to summarise um, Labour's future economic policy, right? I mean, we said earlier on, it's, it's going to be hard to kind of articulate, like, you know, do you know who the fucking comptroller is? What What if I told you about the fiscal ankle on the doorstep, right? That won't go down well on the hashtag Labour doorstep. See if you come up to them and say, what if we could turn your national credit card debt into a national savings account? <laughs> that'll be the pitch and I, I, if I see if the words national savings account come out of the Labour Party at any fucking point I'm saying it now I want fucking royalties for that what about the national spending wallet I, I'm skills gonna, wallet yeah. I, damn I, I was literally going to say I'm, I'm going to put a marker down in like some kind of revised skills wallet to make an appearance in, uh... <laughs> so basically a new, some new laws, a new cop. This sounds mm -hmm. extremely Starmerite, I've got to say. Mm -hmm. um, the money cop. Yeah, a little, a little token spending, like pissing in the wind, just to you know, to, to, to give you a little something, a little sugar, like you know, to take the bitter pill, and uh, then finally, I promise we're really going to do something honest. That's that's what it all boils down to, basically. Yeah, like when I was saying that there was no specific plans, there aren't. There's no plan to like build a particular institution or nationalize anything or you know have a a fundamental uh you know just like the the term fiscal multiplier appearing anywhere in here would have been useful and indicated that she actually believes government spending can yeah. be good and she doesn't include yeah. it anywhere it's entirely so, oh we want to make a little legal change here and that'll so be it for 
for our listeners, fiscal multiplier, just real quick summary, it's the idea that when you do government spending, that you actually get more back out of the economy because every, you know, every, like, you know, pound you spend on childcare allows parents and other economic activity to take place that then gives you back, like, say, £1.20 or something like that. That's what fiscal multipliers are, right? Mm. The idea that it's not all actually neutral, it's uh, that spending money wisely and well can actually make you money back. Um, basic business shit, ironically, but it doesn't somehow it doesn't apply when it comes to a government spending for reasons. Yes. This, by the way, is also the conclusion that the even the IMF and the Bank of International Settlement have come to after pushing austerity for ten years. Even they say that the fiscal multiplier is a huge thing. Anyway, I think though, Seb, and I'm, I'm I have to say I'm a little bit disappointed in you because you said you'd read the the speech, but you forgot a crucial bit that there that there is a real thing that that's going to change everything. Um, and it was in there, it was just a line. So like, I'm a bit sad that you missed it. Um, I'm just going to quote directly from Annalise here. This program will also mean a change in mindset so that politicians stop overpromising and under-delivering so that once a course is set, <laughs> it is stuck to. <laughs> yeah, that's... Like I said, a promise, a promise. That's, mm. that's what this is. Do you know? The, is she going to have a promise like... inspector coming and assessing her once a year to submit a report? Oh no, that's what the wallet expected. <laughs> yeah. On on the other hand, I think maybe there's a there's an an, an opportunity for for maybe even uh, our fine podcast store to just uh, start selling supplements for comptroller mindset. Oh man, do you know, right? If we're gonna go, if we're gonna go full on like Alex Jones style when it comes to doing the merchandising, I have some ideas. <laughs> I've been taking the big brain pills to make big brain pills, and I've got I've got some ideas on what we could do for this. Some Market really good supplements. Plus. Yeah. Oh, man. Can you think of, like, all the different supplement powders? Except they're socialists, <laughs> right? You know, socialist and anarchist supplement powders, you know? Like, uh, I just, I think there's, there's, a, there's a great vein of opportunity here. Take these pills to improve your shitposting power, <laughs> kind of, you know? Like, I, I really think there's, you, you could go, you could go pretty far with this. We could even we could even get online to Gwyneth Paltrow and see how she set up good. No, maybe no, 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 no. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna round off I'm gonna round off this yep. episode now. Thank you for um, persuading me to do that right there and then with that. Gotta interrupt just once because um, I I read two May's lectures in preparation for this. Uh, despite missing that, you're line. madder than so, me. I love you. Yeah. So just just gonna just gonna quote this finish from one of them and see which it sounds like. Delivering the new economic model that I've set out today will not be easy. Britain cannot run away from its problems. And if we fail to learn the lessons of the last decade, we are doomed to repeat them. We have to deal with our debts to get our economy back on its feet. The core values that we need to apply are responsibility and accountability. During the time that I have been in this job, I have put fiscal and financial responsibility at the heart of my approach. Now, honest question, could Dodds have said that? Yes. Easily. Dodds could have, but I'm guessing it was Rishi Sunak. No, it's, no. it's, it's George Osborne, isn't it? That... Yes, yeah, the one oh, he gave no. in 2010. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And this is it, yeah, the, it's completely unchanged rhetoric from that the same perspective that he was putting out. And it's just, you know, like I have decided I'm not going to vote Labour again um, for quite a long time ago. When Dodds gave this talk was when I realised that basically no one is going to vote Labour again. <laughs> 
Actually, just you. one last thing. One, oh, one last thing I've, I've got. <laughs> you are stuck with us down here forever. <laughs> Please buy our merch. Jamie needs his medication. Yeah, buy the merch. <laughs> it's genuinely good. <laughs> yeah. Right. Bye-bye. See you later, folks. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Remember, don't buy GameStop. <gasps> Miss the boat. Or not. Buy it now. Do it quick. <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> Bye! <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Bye! Bye! <laughs>